Namaste. This is Deepali Kulkarni, the Director of Human Rights at the Hindu American Foundation. I'm here today with Vijay Sazawal, a Hindu American born and raised in Kashmir. He's currently the International Coordinator of the Indo American Kashmir Forum and a senior member of the Kashmir Overseas Association. Welcome, Vijayji. Thank you, Namaste, and uh, welcome to be here. So happy you're joining us. Uh, we had a chance earlier to get into the weeds about some of these topics. I'm very excited for the audience to listen into this conversation. So this month, uh, in January 19th, it's going to be the uh, day that we remember the Kashmiri exodus. Can you remind us what are the key uh, aspects and the circumstances that led to the 1990s Kashmiri exodus? Yes, uh, uh, indeed. Uh, I, I call it. Uh, you know, this is our version of the day of day in infamy, uh, uh, and and it's very really important to recognize uh, the significance of this particular day and its remembrance is very important to our community for a number of reasons. Some of the people may think that perhaps that was the day when the targeted killing started, and that was not. It, it had, they had started before them. Before them, uh, there were announcements in Urdu, which were put on the poster outside the doors of Kashmiri Pandit's families asking them to leave. Um, there were uh, newspaper uh, advertisements uh, in two, three Urdu newspapers um, that had that uh, also said the same thing. Uh, but Kashmiri Pandits, having lived a, a life of survival and optimism in the last six, seven hundred years uh, under the uh, domination of uh, foreigners uh, in, in Kashmir, kind of had an optimistic point of view. They still wanted to give a benefit of doubt that this movement was basically being conducted by people from other countries. Uh, that there was a spillover that had happened from Afghanistan, Pakistan. ISI was handling these things, so uh, there would not be um, there would not be any. You know, this would be a thing like security forces versus versus the uh, the uh, the mujahideen sort of battle, and and us being uh, civilians, uh, non-combatants, and unarmed people uh, would not be affected. That was their uh, thinking going in. And when the targeted killing started, then these targeted killings were explained as that this guy was a, 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 a you know a spy for the government, or this guy worked for this department or that department. Again, there was a certain degree of optimism that you know it's not going to affect ordinary people who have not who have no political inclinations, have never done anything, uh, you know, or don't even belong to any state organization. So they thought they, that, that was very, that was that, that that they could still continue to go on. So it was kind of an interesting thing where people are very apprehensive before 19 January. People are very apprehensive. Some of the people are indeed leaving in small numbers, but most people are thinking, ah, it's not going to affect me. And and I'll tell you, I have an eyewitness there, and that be, that being my parents. My parents were still in Srinagar. I used to be on on the phone literally every week with them, and and my dad would tell me, uh, you know, uh, son, I'm a retired guy. I was a businessman. I had no connections with the government. I was not a government employee or had no position in the government. I mean, why would they come? And 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 uh, and uh, you know, sort of hurt me uh, or want me, uh, you know, would be affected. So I know it's uncertain times. We're staying in put. We're not. We're being very careful in going out. Almost like the sort of COVID type conditions uh, at that time. You know, it's you were basically sort of uh, incarcerated in your own homes and be careful in going out or meeting with people. But then 
what happened on that night was a night to remember because that was the night when actually the slogan started shouting on the mosques, which had, of course, proliferated over the years. And literally every, there was a mosque literally every, uh, like one eighth of a mile uh, all over the city of Srinagar. And all these mosques are blaring uh, these, these slogans. And these slogans are in Kashmiri. So there is no escape. You can't say, oh, that was an Urdu, and it so it could be a Mujahideen, it could be a Pakistani guy, it could be a foreigner. Now these now these things are these things are being said in Kashmiri, and what are, what is being said in Kashmiri is, is that you know uh, you know leave this country or leave this place or convert to Islam, leave your women behind, men folk leave, and this is all being said in Kashmiri. And so the shock was first. The shock was that these these, these megaphones are blaring these uh, these announcements in Kashmiri, and then they followed it up. This is in the middle of the night. They followed it up marches. They were they were basically marching outside the uh, the what I will call the enclaves where Kashmiri pundits were where you know the ghettos where Kashmiri pundits were living. So they started coming to there, and they, they're saying the same things in, now in verbal. You could you can see them in in person, and most of these people are are your neighbors. So it so so right away the shock was absolutely horrible. It was a real shock and awe because we couldn't people couldn't believe that these are the people that we have we have grown up with, we have been raised with, and these are the people who are saying get out, and or some of them are even saying you know leave your women behind and 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 you get out, and 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 uh, you are you know you are you are the thing. So it was an incredible situation. People got up and started started looking up, getting out. There was no, there, you know, all that, all the facade of optimism was gone. It and was a shock of unmeritable proportions. And so do you feel that it was the rise of the Taliban in Afghanistan that led to this situation in particular? Or was there something else going on geopolitically? Well, uh, it, it, that's a very complex question. The, the key uh, the key uh, is in understanding is is in the is, uh, is understanding the so-called you know the Muslim psyche, uh, which is as long as you are uh, you are perceived as being uh, on the sort of on the receiving end, they demand essentially all the rights be given to them, all the you know all, you know that that everybody be fair, everybody be, be good, everybody. And the moment they sense that they are. Uh, on top of the situation that they want to run those things their way. They want to, they want to have a commanding situation. What was happening in Kashmir was we had unfortunately a situation where uh, the government in India, we had a, we had a time when between 1984 and 19, uh, uh, 1989, we had, we had, we had basically like multiple governments. We had, uh, and, and, and the government at that time in Delhi was, was a very weak government and it was run by VP Singh who didn't last even a year. Uh, but then there were so many others that came following him. Uh, what was happening is that there was a psyche created in Kashmir because the chief minister was basically AWOL. He was most of the time in London, Mr. Farooq Abdullah, and other times he wouldn't look at the files. Uh, and so you had a situation where the situation was getting bad to worse. And people genuinely started believing that Pakistan was going to take over. What they wanted to do was they didn't want to be in the wrong boat. They, they wanted to show their credentials as being pro-Pakistani. And so even the people who said, hey, I don't probably want to do anything with Kashmiri Pandit. They are friendly people, but I got to show my enmity towards them right now. Otherwise, I'll be killed. 
once mm-hmm. the Pakistanis took over. So they were really convinced in 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 January of 1990 that Pakistan was going to invade Kashmir and India didn't have the muscle to pull it back. And in fact, you know, there were there were you know we had already started the situation where most of the uh, most of the areas preceding 19th Jan- January were already declared liberated zones where you couldn't get people in the, into into the uh, into the you know where the security forces couldn't dare come into the areas uh, because there were not enough security forces to begin with uh, in in Kashmir and people were being stopped on the road to check whether your clocks are set to the Indian time or to the Pakistani time. Mm-hmm. And and, wow. and and you and if you wanted to be survive, you had to have Pakistani time on your clocks. I mean, Pakistani flags were flying everywhere. Mm-hmm. There was no question of Indian flag. I mean, I, I you know, quite honestly, I didn't see Indian flags in Kashmir until uh, 2019. I mean, even after uh, all these years, because I've been traveling to Kashmir quite a few times. Uh, but Pakistani flags are flying everywhere. Nobody is bringing them down. Pakistani demonstrations for pro-Pakistan are taking place every day. No, there is no security going on. So, Kashmiri Muslims really believed Pakistan was going to be coming next day, and we gotta be, we gotta make sure ourselves. We we show that we are as patriotic towards Pakistan and as anti-India and anti-Hindu as we can be. So, I think a lot of the people who probably may not have joined this this madness did so out of their own fear that they had to show that they are essentially pro-Pakistani. But at the end of the day, bulk of the people did did not do that. They, they actually did believe at the end of the day that 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 you know that this wasn't uh, this was you know this was required as a as a good Muslim you had to you had to show your displeasure at infidels and 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 uh, to a large extent yes there were mujahideen that had come from uh, from Afghanistan but they were not really driving the the the, the picture the picture was being dra- driven by by the, the the Punjabi mujahideen that had come from uh, from Pakistan as well as the local mujahideen that had been trained in Pakistan and come over. So they are they were controlling the thing, but 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 night of 19 January was sheer madness, and to which actually uh, I tell my Kashmiri Muslim friends today, you have to own to it. You cannot give excuses. They keep giving excuses. We are we are we are not criminal. We are not this thing. We are not that thing. That unless they don't own up to the fact that 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 what happened on the 19 January should not have happened was a wrong thing and uh, and 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 has to have an accountability i don't think there can be a real kashmiri in in kashmir and quite honestly i don't think kashmiri pandits uh, will be in a position to return wow so there's a lot that we need to unpack from all of the nuances that you shared but first let me circle back to your families being eyewitnesses to the exodus. So you mentioned your parents were there. Can you talk a little bit more about how the exodus affected your family? Well, it was very interesting because I, right after 19th January, when I, when most of our relatives started moving out, I mean, I'm calling my dad and I'm telling him, when are you going out? And he says, I know people are leaving, but I'm not going to leave yet. I'm, I, you know, I, I mean, it's very difficult for a, for a senior citizen who is retired who is basically happy. He has a temple literally across the street from where he spends, uh, you know, morning time. He has got all these uh, uh, ancestral heritage sites where his his father and grandfather and great-grandfather have worshipped. And and every one of them has significance that goes all the way back to Rig Veda, Nilmat Puran, 
you know these are these are these are these are our heritage sites and he's comfortable with that he's he's basically um doesn't really want to leave because he doesn't have the desire to leave he he, he it's not that it's it's that you know it's it's the same drive when when he was there i happened to be the only biological child of my parents when i came to united states i begged them to come and stay come over and live with us he didn't want to do it he said i have a beautiful house in kashmir it's paradise and 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 as long as i'm healthy uh, you know my your mother and i we will we will stay here because this is our the land of our ancestors eventually the days went to the months months and suddenly one day i call in july nobody is picking up the phone and i call later again and nobody is picking up the phone the phone is just ringing i really got concerned and i finally i get a call back uh, from him uh saying call me back at this number and i called him and uh, and uh, this was a number in jammu and uh, and i i said he said i left i said what happened he said well two days back um, uh, some local kids came in and said uh, you know you got to uh, if you want to stay you have to pay us protection money which in islam is called jizya um i didn't take them he said i didn't take them seriously but yesterday they came back again and this time two kids came and one is a teenager he is a son of the grocer that we buy our provisions from and he shows a gun he shows a revolver to me and she says next week you better have the protection money or else you know there will be consequences so he said i can't take that same uh, evening he made arrangements uh, he had a car which was which was an ambassador which was you know the ambassador car those did and uh, next thing you know is he loaded it up he also called somebody he kept the luggage uh, ready he told them you know you if you can bring up your truck you know take the stuff with you and and that was it that's how they left right. nothing was taken you know it's funny because my 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 mother chose to take things which really are of no significance but were significant to her because they these were from the marriage when we had our when i got married she took believe it or not some of the some of the stuff we got at the marriage time and 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 but most of the stuff nothing i mean that, that was just gone and within within uh, within a month we got in, in a call from lic saying that our house had been burned down so kashmiri hindus were forced to leave it's often described as an exodus but do you think a better term for it could be expulsion forcing expulsion okay. it is expulsion yeah. it's ethnic cleansing there is no other way of describing it and you know you know the 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 the, the we we approached the national human rights commission in delhi um uh, in uh, and they with the records and data and all the people that got killed and massacred and uh, and uh, they did actually have a ruling in uh, in in june of 1999 well they said the the uh, the uh, what happened to kashmiri pandits in the valley is akin to genocide in the un un terms it's akin to genocide and i know that even in 2014 uh, the un secretary general uh, uh, kofi annan said that if you have targeted killings where you are targeting uh, community leaders from uh, other other you know other religions it is a situation that it, that all literally amounts to genocide so you have a you have a situation where you have genocidal conditions and then um, ethnic cleansing and that ethnic cleansing is still in place there is no attempt really has been made by locals or by anybody else to uh, find a way to get these people back 
Yeah, I absolutely agree. The United Nations Genocide Convention defines genocide as, quote, acts committed with intent to destroy in whole or in part a national, ethnical, racial or religious group, end quote. And from what you've described, it was definitely an intentional um, act of force, a show of force to either uh, intimidate and uh, drive out Kashmiri Hindus from that area or to kill them. Some of the killings and, uh, and, and, and uh, rapacious behavior, I mean, that was just shocking. I mean, you had a situation where uh, uh, they killed people and, uh, uh, and their blood was soaked in, the, the rice was soaked with that blood and they made them eat that rice. I mean, they raped women. They, I mean, there was, there was horrible, horrible things that happened. The tragedy that Kashmiri Pandits had at that time, this is 1989, 1990, was that, that you had a government in Delhi that was so obsessed with basically being anti-Congress. A VP Singh's government's day in, day out job was to find Congress moles within the government and uh, within the within the army and within the police force. They really didn't care for what was going on mm-hmm. around the country, especially in Kashmir. And, uh, and one of the big lids they put on was that they didn't want to make the announcement that uh, something had happened to Kashmiri pundits. If you go to the newspapers of, of, of India in 1989-99, you will not see a lot of mention of what has happened to Kashmiri pundits because they wouldn't let they were not letting this news go. I mean, it was not like today where you have social media and you have smartphones and you have you know real time connectivity. Uh, the, the, the fact is uh, it, it, that was a big challenge, and I'll tell you that this challenge became a major hurdle because the U.S. State Department report, which talks about uh, displaced people did not list Kashmiri pundits at all. They, they, it, would, it would mention annual human rights report would mention about security forces versus the Kashmiri Muslims or uh, people asking for insurgents, Kashmiri Muslim insurgents, but it wouldn't mention a word about Kashmiri pundits. And it, it took us a, a long time effort with, with uh, uh, congressmen, those, that, those, those days congressman Cheryl Brown, now a Senator Cheryl Brown, who were really at, at the end, took our case and would make uh, would make uh, uh, Madam Albright's life miserable whenever she would show up in the uh, in the House Foreign Affairs Committee because he would keep asking her you know why aren't the Kashmiri Pandits on the list now later now eventually we did get on the list in in 1996 which list is this the, the, you know the US State Department human rights report mm-hmm. US State Department human rights report eventually did list Kashmiri Pandits has been has has been driven out from the valley in 1996, mm-hmm. when actually the events happened back in back in 89, 90, mm-hmm. So it took so long, mm-hmm. but then I had an opportunity at that time uh, uh, because a, a, a fellow uh, Ohio uh, was actually the ambassador in India, and and he actually did do a committee check for me, and he found out part of the problem was the most of the reports that in the government, the U.S. Of officials get in Delhi, are from the NGOs of India. They 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 count them as very important inputs to their process, and from the government of India's reporting itself, uh, or from the State Department, or uh, from the reporting from the states. Mm-hmm. Kashmiri Pandits were not discussed either in the state report from Jammu and Kashmir, either in the central government report that something is happening to Kashmiri Pandits, or surprisingly, most of the NGOs. Mm-hmm. 
Because, you know, NGOs thought, you know, these are Brahmins, these are upper, upper crust people, they let them, let them, you know, die, whatever. And, and, and so uh, at the end of the day, so the embassies told me we had no inputs coming in. We had hundreds of insurgent families from the insurgents coming to us, uh, how Indian government is doing this, 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 to these uh, uh, poor people looking for Azadi and all that stuff. But they, they didn't say a word about what has happened to Kashmiri Pandits. And here we are talking in 1999 of a situation where the NHRC itself said it was a situation akin to genocide. So can you explain a little bit more um, about the situation that Kashmiri Hindus were facing after becoming a migrant or refugee in their own country? So it's easy. It is easy to say those things than to really know the experience of those people. They were they were left in a barren field and given tents, one tent per family uh, in, uh, in, uh, in areas around Nagrota and Jammu, you know, basically these, these were open barren fields. There was no sanitation. Uh, there was no proper, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, hygiene. Uh, there were, you wouldn't believe how many of them died by uh, snake bites and, and, and by, by scorpion bites in Jammu. Um, how many died by heat wave and, and you know, the tents in the daytime. I mean, they, these people had never used to the temperatures going back in there. Uh, the effect that had on their health, the people, the people who died from hypertension, different diseases, the number of people that became mentally, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, sort of affected, mentally challenged. I mean, there was an incredible toll on the people in, 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 these, in these refugee camps. Uh, it was a miserable life. I mean, I'm not talking about lack of privacy and all those things, which you know, which is uh, which is quite frankly, in the big scheme of things, very minor compared to the life that they they had to face. Uh, it, it was a it was and because it was all hush hush. See, as I told you, the government did not want the news to go out. Now, it's very interesting. I was at that time. There was a there was a uh, Washington-based correspondent. The lady has died now, Mary McGruder. Mary um, used to have a column in Washington Post, and actually, she lived uh, not very far from where the Indian ambassador lives in in in, uh, in uh, Washington D.C. So she cornered him one day when they were walking on the road, and she said, "Why aren't Why aren't you know I have I have, I have this Kashmiri engineer meeting me all the time, uh, saying about what has happened to Kashmiri pundits and what's going on, and 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 why the government of India is not really." you know, basically making public, making public their case. And the ambassador said, well, the reason is because we really want to, we don't want to really make it a religious issue because if we make it a religious issue, it will have an implications in India, or, hmm. you know, for, for the, you know, there, there may be a grave reaction. So we are, we are kind of, uh, we're keeping it political. It's, it's basically India, Pakistan issue. And it's really not a local uh, issue between the, the minority, Hindu minority and, 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 the, and the Muslim majority. So he gave that, and she has that article and that came out in, uh, I think August or September of, it's on my website. By the way, if anybody wants to see the website, it's www.kashmirforum.org. And on kashmirforum.org, you'll see the Washington Post story by Mary uh, saying that the Indian ambassadors has acknowledged that Kashmiri Pandit story is not out because they didn't want to have its grave implications in the rest of India. So from what you're saying, oh, there's a lot that the Indian government didn't do to prevent 
the violence that was taking place in 1989 and 1990 and to help internally displaced refugees of Kashmir. But in recent years, with Article 370 and Article 35A, there's renewed focus on this issue, at least by the Indian government. So can you tell me in your own words, what are these two articles and what effects will they have for Kashmiris today? Well, these were important articles. Let me let me mention, first, let me give you a little historical context here. Uh, Article 370 really came about uh, out of the desire uh, by by uh, the friendship between the Kashmir's uh, maximum leader at time of independence, Shwaruk Abdullah, I mean Sheikh Abdullah, and his friendship with the Prime Minister of India, who really trusted him completely, which was a which later on the events later on would would indicate that trust was totally misplaced. But be it may, in 1947, Pandit Nehru absolutely trusted uh, Sheikh Abdullah, and and Sheikh Abdullah's contention was that. Since it's the only Muslim majority state in India, uh, let's 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 have a period when we can actually govern, uh, you know, a little bit with a little bit more uh, relaxed sense, where we can actually bring a, a, a sort of a local uh, political flavor in, so that Muslims can feel at ease that they can they, they're okay as part of the Indian Union. And Nehru, in its in his, you know, Nehru was what, what I call a bastion of idealism, and he really bought it. And, and and much against the uh, much against the wishes of uh, many other cabinet ministers, including Patel and others, uh, he, it, it got it got it got put through the uh, you know constitution, and it was uh, the only change was made was uh, it'll be temporary. Uh, you know, it's basically going to end when the when that comfort level uh, sort of uh, passes over. And uh, I'll tell you, I even I felt uh, in my early years that, that that was not a bad thing to do uh, that to have this temporary provision for the purposes of uh, so so called you know local local governance which will be more sensitive to the to the local uh, identity of the people whether they are kashmiri pandits or kashmiri hindus or kashmiri muslims um, what happened in reality was was that the, the 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 article was abused because the article was basically became the uh, sort of a secessionist uh, uh, playground in terms of the fact that it gave it tried to give convince uh, people that uh, you know this article gives us a separate identity within the Indian Union and as a result of that um, they flouted most of the Indian rules regulations accountability wasn't there and uh, corruption uh, indifference you know uh, we. we we had we had massive uh, amount of uh, poor development. Uh, you know there was not really much happening in Kashmir uh, because uh, because this uh, uh, every time elections would come, they would have a slogan: "Islam khatre mein, Islam khatre mein, Islam is in danger, Islam is in danger." This is these are the leaders, so-called pro-India leaders, and next thing you know is they are voting for these parties. People are uh, you know genuinely convinced. So so it was a racket. It was a racket primarily to uh, to uh, to retain power, uh, continuing power of the of, of a few dynasties that that were that were uh, active at the time of Kashmir, uh, you know, Kashmir's accession to India. It was a racket essentially to keep uh, uh, sort of people, uh, uh, in a sense, wanting. I mean, it's uh, it's almost like 
uh, uh, you know, uh, if you have seen some of the beggars in India where, you know, somebody gets, gets catches somebody and then breaks his leg and then makes him sit and, you know, uh, beg for arms because, you know, the, you look at that guy with a broken leg and actually the, you know, that leg was actually fractured by the master who basically controls his earnings. So it was the same way. They kept, Kashmir was kept at, in a, in a state of deprivation by the, by the lords of Kashmir. Uh, who basically would, uh, would 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 keep using the Islamic slogan every every time the election time would come. The the interesting thing is when I started my journey on this uh, political advocacy at the beginning, I really thought there was a solution for Kashmiri pundits or Hindus by itself. But I later realized it is not possible without, uh, quite frankly, the Kashmir as a whole from improving where it is. In other words, you cannot solve Kashmiri pundit problem. Uh, even Kashmir, uh, if the Kashmir situation is uh, how it is being worked on. Uh, so even as back as if you go back and look at my articles in two, 2010 and thereabouts, you will see I talked about the fact that Kashmir is, is, a, is, a, is a, you know, I, I call it a, mis- a triangle of misery. Again, it's in my website where I showed that dysfunctionality of the state, dysfunctionality of its uh, leaders, uh, inability to have law and order, the degree of corruption uh, increase in uh, Islamic Wahhab, Wahhabism, the growth of Wahhabism in Kashmir, all these factors. I told people there, I used to go to Kashmir, make lectures and told them this, this is a untenuous situation. It cannot continue. Some, somebody is going to wake up in Delhi one day and going to say, I cannot take it anymore. This, you know, they keep pumping money here, hoping that things will work out, but they are not working out. They're getting worse. Now, it's very interesting. The public would not come back to me, the, the intellectuals, the professors and the journalists who were in, in my meetings. They wouldn't tell me, sir, you're wrong. We are doing great. This, is, this place is doing well. No, they were saying there is no way. What are you going? Are you trying, suggesting Article Three Seventy can be removed? No, it cannot be removed. We have checked it. It is. It is the only way it can be removed is 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 if we agree. If we uh, Kashmiri Muslims agree that this and this has, and we have already sort of we have locked the door and thrown the key. So that was their attitude. The, so it was very obvious. It had to change, but that was their attitude. And 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 and, and Article Thirty Five A actually didn't come with Article Three Seventy. It came much later. It came in nineteen fifty four. Uh, in fact, uh, by nineteen fifty four, Sheikh Abdul was already in jail. Yeah, and and they said, well, we need to have some protection for jobs and and domicile and things like that, and um, and also made it difficult for women who, who who would marry out of the out of the state. They should not retain their state rights and things like that. And and that was approved by the cabinet. Pandit uh, Nehru's cabinet approved it. It was not a constitutional clause. It was an administrative clause that was added to the thing. So what BJP, to the credit of Mr. Modi and his team, and and uh, uh, and quite frankly, uh, a, 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 a lot of credit goes to the team that he created to resolve this Article Three Seventy roadblock. Uh, uh, was his, uh, was his, uh, uh, you know, um, oh, what's the name, uh, Arun Jetli. He, he put, uh, Mr. Arun Jetli was put in charge of this team and they actually came back with a solution which, which had a, which had a time dependency of when would you could, because one of the considerations was from Mr. Modi was that whatever he wanted to do, he wanted to do it constitutionally within the protects of constitution of India. Well, he did get it because there's an article 356, which actually gives him the leeway where public rights are transferred to the Indian parliament. 
So when you have actually a president's rule in a state, you can actually pass state ordinances through the parliament acting on behalf of the state of the government. So it's a very legal constitutional method in India. But it has a timeline. You can only apply president's rule at a certain time after the governor's rule has gone. So they did all that mathematical calculation and this admitted they came back with the key. And they 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 went to the parliament and and they had some parliamentary maneuvers to do because of the fact that they didn't have enough seats in the Raj Sabha. But eventually they 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 got a majority in Raj Sabha and they tested it first in Raj Sabha, then in Lok Sabha, and got it got it taken care. Kashmiris were absolutely stunned. They did not expect that it will ever happen because, as I told you, they were so sure that this is this is this this is not possible. This cannot be done. Every expert would tell them that. So just uh, so our audience uh, is following along, I want to make sure that we explain a little bit more about exactly what Article 370 and Article 35A are. So Article 370 established the relationship between the central government of India and the state of Jammu and Kashmir and basically gave a lot of power over to the state and uh, ensured that the state had control over uh, many different aspects. So uh, in revoking it, the abrogation of Article 370, a lot of rights were then given to Kashmiris, um, such as women's rights, LGBTQ rights, and other rights that were before that time completely absent. Similarly, Article 35A was basically introduced by presidential order in 1954, and it allowed Jammu and Kashmir's legislature to define who would legally be considered a permanent resident. So making sure that there was uh, this was revoked, the abrogation of this Article 35A returned that power to the central Indian government. So with that in mind, uh, I want to ask you, Vijayji, about how uh, Kashmir has been portrayed by the media as disjointed and not quite Indian, maybe Pakistani. And so in your view, what is the relationship between Kashmir, Jammu and Kashmir to India? And, you know, what what is a political relationship? What is a historical relationship? What is a cultural relationship? There's a lot there that needs to be explored. But if you could please tell us in brief. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, I mean, if we, if we are talking about historical relationship, I mean, as I said, um, if you go back to the uh, Mahabharata, uh, Mahabharata, you know, some of the uh, the principal characters in there, uh, they had, there's a relationship between the people there and the people who, who used to rule in, in Kashmir. So there was a direct relationship. I'm, as I said, in the Ragveda, uh, in fact, some of the Ragveda uh, 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 writings uh, were, were written by Sage uh, Kashyap, uh, who, uh, who was credited with creating uh, the, uh, the value of Kashmir, and and, and uh, you know, and then you go back uh, to to the Chandragupta Maurya period. You go to the Maurya's time. I mean, Kashmir was very important part of uh, the empire, and uh, uh, it stayed. Uh, actually, the fact is that it was the Maurya dynasty that ran, ran the you know, and their successors uh, that uh, that that stayed in Kashmir until. Uh, um, you know, until uh, the Islamic rule start, started in the 14th century. So historically, there's no question. Um, just like, just like uh, you know, Sindh or Multan or uh, any, anywhere else is a part of India, 
maybe now in Pakistan, but uh, that that it was it was an integral part of uh, India, and actually uh, many of the uh, Kashmiri kings. Uh, uh, in Karkota dynasty, uh, in in the in the seventh century and all that, I mean, they had large parts of both going from Iran all the way down to Punjab uh, that were uh, ruled from from Kashmir. Uh, so um, uh, th- 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 there is no separate identity as such for this area uh, where you can say, "Aha, it was you know it was basically uh, created." Uh, that identity was created when, uh, when, uh, when uh, basically British sold, uh, when East India Company sold the uh, real estate uh, to Maharaja Gulab Singh of Jammu, and they defined the boundaries for him, and they gave him that. And that's how, you know, that that's how that's what created its identity as a as a as a, as a piece of real estate that was given, uh, bought in a, on a on a you know on a, in a real estate transaction between East India Company and and and, and Gulab Singh and his perpetual successors. So that 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 part is there, and the the the, the other part dealing with the fact that. Uh, uh, you know, uh, the issue at the time of the independence of India became a very critical thing because, you know, that's where I've spent a lot of time looking at the papers. Unfortunately, um, they used to be, you know, 50 years after the, uh, uh, the there was a there was a time limit on 50 years for keeping the documents secret. These are from the uh, the uh, uh, Commonwealth Relations Office, CRO, uh, which used to run the, uh, you know, the India office. Uh, and, and so in 1997, they made these documents public, kept them in the British Museum, British Library in London, uh, and um, people started looking at those papers. Um, uh, we had uh, uh, Chandra Das Gupta here. We had Alistair Lamb, and they, those those documents were explosive. Those documents were explosive to the point where they have been subsequently withdrawn. And uh, on, uh, and so they are not anymore made public. And then on the other side, there's also a, a, a gentleman by the name of uh, Andrew. Uh, uh, Lewins, who is who has been look who has been pushing for getting the uh, Mountbatten li- li- diaries, and finally the uh, British government uh, other day uh, about a year back gave him those diaries, but they are redacted, and and so he's got he's still that case is still Lowney's Andrew Lowney's case is still in the court uh, seeking those diaries because uh, his view is uh, very interesting. His view is if you look at the statements that. But Nehru used to make in public, and then what? How he would then write to uh, reply to the British? They used to be two different things. There was a disjoint. There was a mystery advisor from the British who was basically influencing his decisions, which are not necessarily part of the public trial. So, so we have an interesting period when documents have been made public and they have been withdrawn. And and one of the things that uh, before they were withdrawn, one of the interesting things turns out that that Mountbatten was made the head of the Mountbatten, who is the Governor General of India, and by definition, not part of the government. He's, he's not part of the government of uh, of, of uh, uh, Nehru. He is made chairman of the defense committee of the cabinet, which is which is the same thing as CCS today, cabinet committee on security. And so he is making the decisions on the defense of India. So just want to clarify these documents that you're talking about. Uh, can you explain exactly what they were, what the contents of them were, and what the effects of them being made public would have been? These are the documents which are primarily classified cables that go between Lord Attlee, uh, who is the Prime Minister of the uh, UK. Well, I mean, this is, this is a communication gap between 
these five or six people that I'm going to mention. Mm -hmm. One is the Prime Minister of UK. One is the head of the Cabinet Secretary in charge of India. His name is Philip Noel Baker. In fact, he turns out to be the real key. He's a mastermind who's really designing the Kashmir policy. And, and then you have you have the army chief in Pakistan, uh, which is a, is a Britisher, uh, I think Gracie or something like that. You have an army chief in New Delhi, who is also a uh, Britisher. Then you have a governor general, who is Lord Mountbatten. And then you have the ambassador ambassadors in Pakistan, as well as ambassador in New Delhi. This is the British or British High Commissioner in Pakistan and British High Commissioner. This is these these are the people that are pretty much. For example, Nehru talks to. Uh, Nehru talks to um, uh, Lord Mountbatten as part of the defense committee. Oh, it's a defense committee of the Indian cabinet. So you are bound uh, to actually keep it confidential. And next thing you know is he has taken the notes and sent it, sent it to London of what is what is being said between the between 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 in, on in the defense committee. I mean, these are explosive documents. Suddenly they realized that this is this is this is too much to handle, and so they were they were withdrawn. But basically, the document that uh, Chandra Das Gupta was able to find out was able to procure. I mean, this is a mass content of documents uh, before they were taken away. He basically found out that the British were arguing between whether Kashmir should stay independent or Kashmir be part of Pakistan. That was really their choices. And uh, and Noel Baker personally was actually in favor of Pakistan. The reason why he was in favor of Pakistan was because because of the gay game, the Russian play on the northern border, and they were already in negotiations with Pakistan after Pakistan's independence or before Pakistan's independence about how to take over Peshawar and other air, air bases, which subsequently, by the way, British withdrew and transferred that, uh, that negotiation authority to Americans who eventually took over the Peshawar air base. So, so they were they were talking about a security agreement with Pakistan, and Kashmir was a very important element of that security because that that would give them the, the thing. The other side was that they did not want one of the tragedies was they did not want Kashmir's border to join with the northwest frontier of Pakistan, because frontier Gandhi was a personal friend of Nehru and Gandhi. The, 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 what, what these people feared in Britain that that. Frontier Gandhi has a has a has a border which is adjoining adjoining Kashmir as a part of India. That he may want to be also part of India. He may want to accede to part of India. Those Pashtuns may want to want to. And you know, Pashtuns by character, as we saw in Afghanistan, they tend to be much more cosmopolitan than the fundamentalists that are in Punjab and elsewhere in Pakistan. So that was a fear. So they wanted to create that layer. And that layer was created when they uh, and then they forced India to accept the ceasefire, so that there will be actually a layer uh, of region which will which will which will separate Kashmir state of Indian state of Kashmir from the uh, from the Pakistan proper, the northwest frontier portion of the Pakistan. So there were a lot of plays going on at that time. But the bottom line is this, this idea of self determination. It didn't come from public. Nobody in Kashmir got up and said, I want self-determination because nobody, uh, for that matter, nobody in India was asked or in Pakistan was asked self-determination. I mean, this was all decided, you know, by in, in, in smoke-filled back rooms where they decided, you know, how they're going to cut up India and what's going to happen and hmm. who's going where. Uh, this was basically a concoction that, that Noel Baker basically came. In fact, no, see, everybody talks about this resolution. Uh, if you look at the UN resolution, everybody talks about this UN resolution of 47. Uh, 
Nobody talks about a UN Resolution 39, which was really the first resolution on Kashmir in UN. And that was in January of uh, 1948. That resolution said, after ceasefire, United Nations should supervise the administration of Jammu and Kashmir. So British were already wanting to have UN right there, right then. It was Americans who said, who said at that time, we believe accession was legal. And it should not be, you know, it, it, you, you can't do that. You can't have a, 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 sta a state that has legally acceded to India be, be asked to give up its uh, sovereignty rights to transfer them to United Nations. So that article, that was that was removed. And then this article, uh, you know, uh, the, the 49 was brought in, which had this long step process, which obviously Pakistan did not follow. And, and subsequently nothing happened. But the reality is, these countries are picking and choosing things that they want to use and, 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 and forget the things that they have done. Wow. So you really took us way back uh, from the Mahabharata to <laughs> present day um, with this little look into history here. And I have one more question for you um, to wrap up our conversation today. Certainly there's so much more we could discuss, uh, but there's something um, interesting happening with uh, the media and critics of Indian policy who are claiming that Kashmir is in the grips of an of Indian settler, settler colonialism, that Indian, India is a foreign government that's coming in and um, colonizing Jammu and Kashmir, the Indian Union territory of Jammu and Kashmir. Do you feel that this is an accurate characterization of the situation? Well, you see, I did some research on this one also because I wanted to. I wanted to find out, you know, what, the, what, 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 how can I go back and where can I find the genesis of this particular issue? And I find out that when the Kashmir, uh, when when that real estate deal was done between uh, between East India Company and and the and the and the Maharaja Gulab Singh on the creation of this new state of Jammu and Kashmir. Uh, actually that's that's that that's an agreement called Amritsar Agreement that was that that was created. And it turns out Britishers had Americans advising them as to how that agreement should be drafted. Believe it or not, as much as you think Americans went around in uh, interest in India in, in the, or Kashmir in 19, 1846, they are there in that agreement. And here's the ultimate irony. Both the president of United States at that time and the, and the prime minister in Britain at that time were respectively Democratic Party in the U.S. and Labour Party in the U.K. Now, turn the clock and come to 1947 when these games are being played. Who is the prime minister in England? It is, again, a Labour Party man. Who is the president in the United States? Truman Time. Its president is a Democratic Party man. So you have actually a situation where there is a vested lobby, both within the Democratic Party in the U.S. and within the Labour Party in the U.K. And, and, and of course, at 47, they also had Liberal Party in Canada. They actually joined and played these games at the United Nations. And so that so what happened was when why did why did uh, why did Nehru eventually had to reluctantly imprison his best friend Doctor I mean Farooq Abdullah I mean Sheikh Abdullah he had to do it because he meets with you know we had a defeated candidate uh, 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 presidential candidate who shows up in Kashmir uh, he's from the Democratic Party 
and he's talking about to him about you know uh, how Kashmir can grow independently and better and all that stuff. So they have all the intelligence about about that. So what I'm saying is there is actually a a uh, I hate to say it I don't want to give political color to it, but the truth of the matter is historically it's a fact that that there is a vested interest in Democratic Party in the U.S. and a vested interest in the Labour Party in UK that really feels Kashmir was sold as a real estate thing has its own has should have should have stayed out out of the domain of india because it was a separate sale and that sale you know uh, you know is through perpetuity and you know uh, so it that sense american sense of ownership of land and ownership of, of your property um, uh, it's inviolable it's your castle it's your you know it's your it's your it's your uh, 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 sort of your your ground and i think that sense is the one that is actually coloring this colonial and post-colonial feeling about Kashmir. The reality is they don't have the same feeling about Goa. I mean, they could, but, but they don't. They don't have the same feeling about Hyderabad, the, the state of Hyderabad. It's only about Kashmir. And, 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 and a reason is very simple, that the players that were involved at that time still have vested consciences with, with that psychological feel. They don't understand. They, you know, they simply cannot understand why Kashmir, important, Kashmir is so important to India. It's, 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 it's legacy, it's culture, it's origins. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, 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 as, you know, it's like saying, you know, uh, take my country, but leave my soul here. I mean, it, it simply doesn't work. They don't have that feeling. Yet, when we had a, when we had the case of Texas at one time, just trying to exit, trying to exit the, exit the union, Supreme Court was the first to say, once Texas acceded to the to the state of United States, of it that 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 accession is irrevocable. It cannot be it cannot be withdrawn. It's perpetual. So they know even in their own country, in our own country, we have had a situation where you know it's called Texas versus White case, and 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 uh, I have some references to it, but it's Texas versus White case. And, and 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 clearly, once you have exceeded, you are part of the part of the union, and that's exactly what. So you cannot have a double standard where you measure your own performance by one yardstick and somebody else's performance by other yardstick. But I think there's a psychological hang-up here for this constituency in UK and US that basically uh, has has this feeling about uh, sort of a post-colonial. Uh, attitude because somehow they think this was a deal that 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 was between two parties and India shouldn't be uh, sh- shouldn't shouldn't have should have honored it and kept it as a separate uh, area or something like that. Powerful words. Kashmir is the soul of India. Thank you so much, VJG. Hope to speak with you again. Well, that's it for this episode of That's So Hindu. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and leave us a nice five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It's how you can help this show get discovered by more listeners. If you want to help ensure that more of these get made, you can make a donation to HAF at www.indoamerican.org slash